Headquarters is a private fitness facility in the heart of Belfast located just off the Lisburn Road. If you want to get stronger, get in better condition and improve your performance in life or in sport, then get involved with Headquarters Gym. The focus is in small group and one-to-one coaching. This allows you to stay accountable, have fun and get great results from your training. If you're interested in achieving your fitness goals, sign up for a trial month for £99. That gives you 16 sessions for the month and all you need in terms of support and advice in your fitness journey. Get in contact on Instagram at Headquarters Belfast or visit headquartersbelfast.com. A lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast. If you're struggling with an injury, lack of mobility or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with, then you need to get it sorted. Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. Practice owner John Quigg is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football Club. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 That's 075-685-3822. Get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted. Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. As usual, we're recording in, uh, in our base at SS Moors in the city centre of Belfast. My guest today is Ilse van Staden. Ilse played for Ulster in Ireland as a prop after moving to Northern Ireland 2011. Before that, Ilsa played a lot in South Africa. It was most of your rugby, wasn't it? <laughs> so it's great timing to talk to Ilsa and reflect on her career as she's recently retired from rugby and will now concentrate her efforts into various other passions, which, again, there's so many things. You're a very interesting person, being a butcher, chef, language expert, biltong maker. So anyway, Ilsa, welcome to the podcast. So I know you're a very busy woman. How are you getting on? No, thanks for having me. Um... I'm I'm getting on well. Uh, to correct you, I haven't completely retired from rugby. It's just I'm stepping back from a bit more the the Ulster side of things and the provincial side of, of rugby, where I felt feel like even though I'm still playing All Island One with Cook, um, to play at that higher level takes a little bit more commitment and a little bit harder work to to make sure that you stay up to the standard of of provincial rugby. Um, so it's just that I'm stepping back, taking a bit of a space from, from, from that side of rugby. Yes, and you're saying just before we started recording, you're now turning your hand to another sport. Tell us a wee bit about that as well. So just after lockdown, I um, I decided to take up American football. Um, and I've started playing with the Antrim Jets now back then. They were Division Two teams, so nothing too serious. It's all about, for me, it's all about just keeping moving and having fun and um, just experiencing new things. I do believe that if you want to stay young, say young, um, you need to keep moving. Yeah. So the quickest way to get to get old is to stop, and I'm definitely not planning on doing that. Yeah, good to hear. And look, it sounds like you're getting into all sorts of things between lifting more weights, <laughs> doing American football, and and sticking at the rugby. Which I just imagine you you had sort of stepped back entirely. But that's cool. You're someone who likes to be super busy. No, I, I I'm one of those that um, sport is my outlet. Yeah. So if times get tough in my head, 
then sport is my outlet for that. Um, rugby, uh, the American football, all the players that I play with and play alongside with is a very supportive environment. So um, and I need that. And I do think that especially in sport, the moment you step away from it, you do miss that um, support support system that you, you would have had. Yeah. And tell us a wee bit more about that. So a big theme of this podcast is about mental health and, and the benefits that rugby and sport bring. So what is it about rugby? Is there something unique about rugby that helps you get the aggression and the anger <laughs> out onto other people? Um, I wouldn't say that it's actually transferring your, your emotions onto other people. Yeah. It's just more that rugby is known as a, as a family. Um, some of my best friends I've made because I've played rugby. Um, there's very few people that I still keep in touch with who I went to university with, but I can name people on my hands and my feet that I, I will still be hanging out with. Even though we don't see each other every single day, I know that if I go to, to Canada, I can ring up Mary Eve and we can, we, we can have a chat and we can catch up the same with various other places in the world. Yeah. Like Rugby is the biggest family community in the world. Because no matter where you go, wherever there's a pair of H-bars, you know you're among friends. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I never really thought of it in that way. But because rugby is a relatively niche sport across the world, it's like it's not like football where sort of everyone knows about football. But there's that special bond and special community in rugby. And tell, tell me a bit more about growing up in South Africa and how much a part of rugby was your life growing up? Um, so again, yeah, I grew up in South Africa. Um, my my dad was keen and really into sport. He uh, had colours in athletics. Yeah. He was a provincial pole vaulter. Don't know how clearly I didn't get that side of the genes. <laughs> um, but he also played a game called a sport called golf ball, which yeah. is very similar to to handball and basketball, and he played rugby. Uh, he actually played for Eastern Transvaal alongside a very other well-known Ulster rugby um, guy, Pedri van Burstad. So that's one of the connections that I had with Ulster when I initially came over. Yeah. So everybody in my family has always been really sporty. My mom still runs. Like my mom's in her sixties, and she still she puts me to shame <laughs> when it comes sometimes going to, comes to training regimes. But yeah, I come from a sporting sporting background. So it's always been a part of, of my life. We yeah. would spend Saturdays next to the rugby pitch watching my dad play. And then we would go and watch my mom play later that day. Yeah. And it's interesting you talk about sort of those sporting genes and how you've obviously harnessed those to the max. But you, there must have been a certain point at which you made the decision, rugby's the one I'm going to commit to. Because... You're saying about you're you're quick and you're strong and that lends itself to any number of things. So how did you settle on rugby? I actually didn't think that women could play rugby or girls could play rugby at school. Um, I like yeah. I I finished school in the early two thousands, like in the year two thousand. I I finished school and there wasn't women's rugby. Um, I remember getting in, getting invited for, with, from one of the girls who, who played softball with me because I played softball. Yeah. And she's like, why don't you come down? Um, we've got this rugby club. And I'm like, all right, yeah, it sounds like something I might do. And I went home and I told my parents. And my stepdad was like, I am not so sure about this women's rugby thing. And 
my mom was just like, you want to do it? Do it. So I went to a training session with um, correctional services, who at that stage had a lot of the provincial players and the provincial coaching ticket for the women's team was also with with them. Mm-hmm. So I went to a training session and I was like, yes. And I went to a second training session and I then bought my first pair of boots. <laughs> and it was just like the bug bit. I think I completely stopped playing softball. Yeah. And I played softball at a fairly high level as well. I played like six months after I started playing rugby, I completely stopped. Yeah. And what was it about rugby that made you so passionate? Was it that sort of family aspect of it? Was the, was it the physicality, which maybe women historically have been prevented from engaging in and to the same in the same way that men do? I think it was it was definitely the physicality of rugby because there's very few sports in which you can completely and utterly express yourself. Like, you could hit someone with, sometimes without the ball. I'll say that very quickly. Um, but you could tackle, you could run, you could... And it was just, it was the, the fact that there were so many of my friends who, who then played rugby, which I didn't know about. They were all very quiet about it initially. Yeah. But then this one popped into training, and I one popped into <laughs> yeah. training, and then suddenly you're like, oh, I knew these people. And we just became such a close-knit group of friends yeah. um, that even to this day, I'm, I'm still in contact with yeah. so many other people that I started playing rugby. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. And as you say, rugby is, it's an inclusive sport in the sense that there's the forwards and the backs and forwards take all shapes and sizes as the backs, people who are short and small or, or people who are stocky or tall. There's a place for everyone in rugby, which again is, I would say, fairly unique among sports. Is that something which I suppose like, which attracted you to the game as well? Yeah, because again, you didn't have to fit into a mould. Yeah. Um, whether you were lanky and tall or whether you were a little bit more robust, if I want to put that, there was a place for you. Yeah. And if you were really quick, they would put you on the wing. Or if you were really small and really yappy, that meant like you are a nine. <laughs> um, so definitely that's, that is something that attracted me is the fact that yeah. no matter who you are, where you're from, what you look like, you can play rugby. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's an amazing sport, hence why I'm doing a podcast all about rugby in Ulster. And I want to talk about coming to Ulster and that story as well, because I'm sure people don't know that story. I think it's really cool. I've heard it on different interviews mm-hmm. and podcasts. But tell us how you ended up coming to... Well, um, again, I've got a... Definitely don't have a face for TV, uh, even though I have been... We've, we've been on TV a couple of times and... In all the all the podcasts and stuff that I've I've done over the last couple of years. So, um, in 2011, my now wife Alana came out to South Africa as part of an exchange program mm-hmm. um, that was set up between Ulster and SA Rugby under Beji van der Beil, who was the Ulster women's coach at that stage. And Alana was not actually supposed to come to South Africa. Everybody else that was lined up to do it couldn't do it because they were either working or they didn't have summer holidays or whatever reason they couldn't end up coming to South Africa. So Alana, along with uh, Rachel Lennox, Rocky and Natasha Milligan, ended up coming to Pretoria. And they played with me at the University of Pretoria, Tucks, who the club that I played for at that, at that stage. And they were also involved with the Blue Bulls rugby. So I met Alana. Alana came back here and a couple of months later, I decided, well, let's... See what's the worst thing that can happen. 
So I took a career break from teaching because I was a teacher at that. And I came to Northern Ireland. The rest is... So, yeah, I've been here since October 2011. Yeah, it's cool. And you never look back. Do you miss South Africa? And uh, I'm sure there's lots of differences. Tell us a wee bit about Uh, the cultural differences. um, What do I miss about South Africa? I miss the sunshine. I am not built for cold. Even (laughs) though I work in a butchery where it's like six degrees all day, I... I am not really built for cold. Um, you miss people. Mm-hmm. So I miss the friends I have there. I miss some of the food because, again, our culinary um, outlook on life is a lot different to yeah. that of Ulster. Yeah. Anything that, and everything that can go on top of a braai, <laughs> like you guys call it barbecue, will go on top of it. Yeah. And if I can braai three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year, I am in my element. Yeah. Um, so, but except for that, there's there's not much else to miss in South Africa. Like, I think it's well widely reported. South Africa has got its own bag of problems and issues, um, predominantly stuff like load shedding, mm-hmm. where certain parts of the country don't have electricity for certain times of the day. Um, and it's a shame because South Africa is such a fantastic country. Yeah. But... I'm here now, this is home, um, and I do not see myself moving back to South Africa with my family at any point in the foreseeable future. Well, we're delighted to have you here, and you've you've been great because you came and you immediately started playing for Ulster, and then playing ultimately for Ireland as well, and fulfilling those ambitions, and I want to talk a wee bit about that in a second, but um, it is funny, there seems to be a big South African connection with Northern Ireland, and we've seen lots of players, you mentioned... Pedri Vandenberg, whose dad yeah. used to play your dad, and yeah. how cool is that? It's a small world. Um, and I've spoken to various players. BJ Botha was on the podcast recently, and I've had various other South African players come on and talk about how they've assimilated quite well or easily into Northern Ireland culture, which hopefully, I think it's maybe the emphasis on family or something like that. Or um, I do think it's that emphasis on, on family. Um, again, I am not the most religious person in the world, but I do believe that the belief systems, and it doesn't ju- just uh, refer to faith, but the belief systems and the, the way people do things in Ireland as a whole. I don't think it's just Northern Ireland, because funny old thing, the people of the North and the people of the South, very similar. <laughs> um, but I do think it's how people do things, how people react to certain things and um, family aspect again being quite big for South Africans um, is is a draw to to yeah. to South African players who yeah. who end up coming here and staying here. Yeah, and it's good to hear from someone from with it, from an outside perspective that we're not actually too different. <laughs> That's reassuring and uh, a lesson to be learnt there definitely. Um, one of the things it's going to ask about is like and we're jumping around the timeline a wee bit, but. Um, one of the things which is interesting. William Carlyle Coaching, helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Program. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. 
On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We just stopped us at the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We, again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. Me recently is the way women's rugby in Ireland is run because I see sometimes I'm on, on Twitter and various sort of bits of criticism out there about the way it's run and the way it's resourced as well. Is in terms of um, women's rugby in Ireland, what could be done better? Is there anything missing in that puzzle? How can we as listeners support women's rugby more? I think anybody who's in charge of women's rugby is literally holding a poison chalice to an extent. Yes, there could be more support. Um, I do believe that what is needed is a bigger skill investment. There also needs to be a bigger emphasis from the so-called Blazer Brigade that women's rugby is here to stay. It's the fastest growing women's sport in the world. And there's a reason why... People are waking up and realizing that there needs to be a bigger financial investment because let's face it, what is it, what incentive is there except for the pride that you feel to play international rugby? Um, we are what thirty years, thirty years in, in, into especially an Irish team in 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 Ireland. They played their first game Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety three. I actually spoke about that yesterday. Um, but people need to realise that women's rugby is here to stay. And the moment you get rid of the stigmas and the stereotypes, it doesn't change who you are as a person. It just helps you to express yourself better. Um, you don't have to wear certain tags when you play rugby. It's not wholly who you are as a person. It's just another part of the complex person that everybody is. Um, and... Skill investment needs to be there. Uh, there needs to be more backing from clubs. There needs to be more recognition from clubs that your club can be so much more of a family environment whenever you have a brother and a sister and a mom and a dad or uncle and aunt all involved in the same rugby club. And I think that is what makes New Zealand rugby so successful is that you have teams where you've got mothers and daughters and aunts all playing on the same team. But their dad and their brother and their uncle is playing on the men's side. And that becomes a really big family environment, um, which is quite lacking in, in Ireland yeah. and other parts of the world. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's a bigger problem than, I suppose, whenever you read things online or on Twitter, the headlines about resources, actually, it's also an attitude shift as well towards women's rugby. And like, well, what is that? Is it something that's going to be... I hadn't realised it was the biggest, it was the fastest growing women's sport in the world. Because um, w- one of the things that I was sort of looking at was like the participation of women in sport drops off after a certain age. Yeah. I think it's sort of teenage years. People maybe play, particularly here, it might be hockey at school or some some uh, some soccer or uh, various other sports. But 
for rugby, it's, it is still a relatively small number of people. What would you say to say, I know there's a lot of people who, who listen to this who are parents, and I know you're a parent as well. What would you say to a young person, a boy or a girl, who's maybe thinking of getting involved in rugby? Uh, what would you say maybe to encourage them to give it a go? Just do it. Just go for it. Yeah. Because, again, playing playing a sport like rugby, and I do I do appreciate in a small community like Northern, Northern Ireland, everybody is fishing out of the same pond when it comes to athletes. I do believe that the way that people are be, are seen um, or, or the, the, the image that is painted for people to be, whether you are male or female, um, on social media and uh, in magazines is something that attributes to a lot of women leaving sport. But then you've got a superstar like Emma Kearney, who is this TikTok sensation. She is, I've got so much time for her. Um, and so much respect for her because even though she is in the makeup and the looks industry, she still runs out for cook. Mm -hmm. She still comes and plays rugby and she's a really good rugby player. And it just shows that you don't have to be, um, pull yourself away from sport in order to be like the little picture that you see in social media. Mm -hmm. But then again, on the same hand, you don't have to aspire to look like that. You can be exactly who you want to be and you can still express yourself in sport and it doesn't change you as a person at all. yeah that's so interesting to hear you talk about that image in sport as well and um do you think that is something which is changing do you have you encountered that where it's prevented people the perception of rugby in particular as being sort of a you don't want to ruin your looks potentially if you're a girl who who's He's very concerned about that type of thing. Do you think that's changing slowly but surely? Or what's been your experience of that? I do think it is changing. Mm. But I also think that there's so much emphasis being put on that. And low self-esteem is a big issue in among youth because you always feel that you cannot aspire to the image that you see on the outside of a magazine cover. And there's no place for that. Um, if you play sport, there's, it, it should be positive. It's uplifting. You build each other up. Sport is not there for you to come and doubt yourself. And we all doubt ourselves every now and again. Like, I, I have moments where I believe that um, I can't, can't do certain things. But then you have the people around you lift you up and build you up and helps you to just go like, well, every now and again. So I do believe that a lot of the times, like, media... Social media is responsible for low self-esteem, but sport is the way, the, the place where you can really, truly be yourself. Yeah, I love that. And again, it's something I hadn't thought that much about, but you look at the most functional people, um, people who are killing it in the CrossFit world, you know, or powerlifters who are like incredibly healthy and, and just use their bodies in amazing ways, but maybe don't look like the images that are being pushed on young people on, yeah. on things like Instagram or whatever. So I think that's, um, I think it's, it's great to see so many role models emerging, both through rugby and other sports, as you say. And yeah. one of the, I've spoken to various players, many of whom you'll probably know quite well, like Siv, well, Jenny Murphy has oh, been yeah. on, Kathy Dane, uh, Gemma Jackson, Claire McLaughlin, or Claire Small now. Claire Small now. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've, I've talked to all of them, and one of the themes that has emerged is, and you alluded to it earlier, was about the sacrifice involved. And 
I, I'm interested to hear your answer to this because you clearly love it and you love playing and it's a good outlet for you. But tell me about the sacrifice that is unique to women's rugby in terms of the time, the commitment, the training that you have to do, the, probably the events that you have to miss and various other important things in life that get knocked down the priority list because you've been off playing for Ulster in Ireland. Um, so, yeah, playing playing sport, whether you do it as an amateur or you do it as a professional, um, takes commitment. If you, it's, it's like being, it's like being a, a painter. If you want to be a really good artist, you have to hone your craft. So it means that you spend time practicing the things that you do so you can do them better. Yeah. And sport's exactly the same. So between having a full-time, holding up a full-time job in order to um, pay for, 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 for training and to, to get to the things that you love doing, because let's face it, nothing in this world is free. And if anybody tells you it's free, they must probably lie to you. Yeah. Um, it takes resources to participate in sport. It costs money. So whether it's a new pair of boots, whether it's training gear, whether it's getting to the gym, whether it's actually your gym, and then you have to think about how do you recover? Yeah. What do you eat? Um, so financially, it costs a lot of money. And if you then go and you work, uh, to go to work every day, suddenly you are starting to eat into stuff like family time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things that actually made me realize that maybe this is the right time for me to step away from provincial rugby is the amount of time that I missed out on with my little boy, Alexander. And you miss, you miss small, like small milestones, but you don't realize how big they actually were when you, you miss another one. So um, little things like if I haven't seen him in a week, now we're talking about I leave really early in the morning and I might come back tonight after he has been to bed already. And I don't see him for three or four days and suddenly, bang, his entire vocabulary has changed in a matter of a week. Yeah. And he has picked up words that you go like, what? How? What are you talking about? Um, things like missing out on family time, not being able to to go away on some holidays. Because I'm a... I might be one of those people. I know a lot of people do not feel like that, but I'm one of those people that I believe that if I have committed myself to, especially a team sport, that it's wrong of me to then say, oh, you know what? I'm going to skip off here for a week. While you guys are training, I'm going to go on holiday. To me, it just doesn't sit right. And I tend to bring up my, we bring out our calendar and we go like, okay, fine. So these are the sports events you have. This is all the built-on events we have. This is when we have to work. This is the family stuff. And then you try and build in time to see each other and time to 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 work on family stuff during all of that. And it's few and far between. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's emotionally. It's not just the physical money that you spend on training, but it's emotional sacrifices that you make. Yeah. And not seeing the people that you actually want to see, not seeing friends outside of rugby. Again, being as old as I am, and I always know that we joke about that, but a lot of the girls that I used to play with when I started playing here, they've all retired. Yeah. So if I want to see the likes of them, it's not like I see them at the rugby club. Yeah. You have to get your diaries out and be like, okay, let's, let's book something in here <laughs> and, and then catch up that yeah. way. Yeah, and it is, it's so different to, to men's rugby because 
and you're very gracious about the whole system. And I know that there's some resentment about the system out there from certain quarters, and I think that's justified as well. But in terms of the sacrifice that they've ex- that, that you experience is very different because men get decently compensated, reasonably well compensated to miss these, and it helps yeah. support their family. Whereas you're doing a job full time, uh, you're doing two jobs at least. <laughs> Never mind being a full time parent, and then doing rugby on top of that and giving it the same level of com- commitment, which is commendable, but not fair. I'm going to say that on your behalf, because I know that you're you're very gracious about it. It's, it's emotionally draining. Yeah. And again, you can take, take a person who plays tight head prop and go and look at what a men's player who plays tight head prop for a provincial setup anywhere in the world mm-hmm. will earn. Then you throw on top of that the fact that they might be international and you look at the numbers increasing. And before you know it, you're sat at numbers and you go like, what? Mm-hmm. I can, can you imagine being paid that over 20 years as a, as a provincial player? But then their careers are really short-lived. Yeah. Not everybody is as fortunate. And I think I am extremely fortunate to have been able to play provincial rugby at the level that I have played it for as long as I've played it and yeah. being completely and utterly injury, not completely, but majority of my career, I've been injury. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking before about 23 seasons of yeah. that, which is remarkable because especially in your position as well, typically people end up getting <laughs> flattened and squashed or something goes wrong, you know, in the course of playing as a prop at such a high level. And I want to talk, just as we as we sort of finish up, I just want to ask about sort of the highlight of I'm not making any presumptions here, but I want to talk about you playing for Ireland, what that meant to you, how that came about, what it meant to your family, having gone through the system in South Africa, been overlooked. I mean, I know you played a lot for the Blue Bulls, but they overlooked but for the South African national team. Tell us about what it meant to play for Ireland represent your adopted country. I know you say that I'm quite gracious about certain things and the systems that I've played in, because I just believe that if you have a bit in this, it's a waste of time. Yeah. It's it's a waste of time to to focus on things that you cannot change. I played in South Africa. I was overlooked by the Springboks for their own various reasons. We don't know our pl- the, the plan that's laid out for us. Um, and they did me a favour because mm. if I if I played for the box, I would never have been able to come here. I would never yeah. have been able to play for the for Ireland. Yeah. I wouldn't even have been able to play for for Ulster because they there was a, a rule change yeah. at a certain time where they said that you can only play provincial rugby if you're eligible to play for Ireland. Yeah. Where if I played for the box, I would not have been eligible yeah. to play for Ireland. Yeah. So that's it. I would not have been able to play for Ulster. Yeah. So you have to be thankful for the small miracle, the small mercies mm. that you are afforded. And even though it doesn't look like a small mercy at that moment in time, it is. So um, I came over here. The plan was never really for me to come. And say, oh, I'm going to play for Ireland. I came over here because I came after them. And the fact that I could play a high level rugby year, like I remember in 2006 when when the women's was 2006 when there was a women's World Cup in in um, Canada. Grace Barbett was playing, and I have said this to Grace, but I was absolutely starstruck when I got here first, and I was playing alongside the likes of Grace Barbett, and she's now Amy Graham, but Amy Davis, and uh, I got to play against Fiona Cochran, and I was like, (laughs) 
And you, I would never say that out loud <laughs> to some of these players, but I was literally like, wow. You read about these people in Scrum Queens, and they're like, you're like, wow, they're such good rugby players. Uh, and then I got here, and I, I got the opportunity to play alongside them. Yeah. And then in 2015, I decided after a couple, I made a couple of boobies, and I just didn't work as hard as I should have worked. And, and that's on me. That's on nobody else. I decided I am going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at this. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but the only thing that can happen is it's a yes or a no. And if it's a no, then it's a no. You can't change people's mind. So I worked like stink for 2016. I lost a ton of weight. Um, I think I lost the, that time around. I lost about 20, 28 kilos. Yeah. Uh, got really fit. Changed everything about my, my lifestyle, surrounding food and how I did things. And I got a phone call on the 3rd of January from the IRFU to say, oh, we would like you to come to camp. I was just like, again, after I got off the phone, I did a little happy dance. <laughs> Not a lot of people will ever see me do that. Um, but so I went into my first camp the first weekend in January. And my, um, my 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 nephew was born the day that we played against Wales in the warm-up game at Donnybrook. Uh, I think it's now was in a, in a geo park. Uh-huh. And um, so that 2017 here for me was actually quite special. And then yeah. again, the first, my first cap was on the 3rd of February against Scotland. And my, my parents literally flew back to South Africa about three weeks before that. And... I remember telling my stepdad, and he's like, if you play for Ireland, I will be on a plane. I will be there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. We'll do that. And I found out that I was on the team sheet. I think it was the Tuesday, and we played the Friday night. And my parents was on a plane. Yeah. And I remember Leon, my stepdad, always said that was the most expensive 10 minutes of his <laughs> life. Uh, but he kept his side of the bargain. Yeah. And then my proudest moment came against australia because uh-huh. initially i was left out of the out of the um world cup squad mm. and then i got called back in and to get your first world cup cap at what you now consider your home stadium in front of all your friends who have supported you on this journey that is special yeah there's not a lot of people who who has had that opportunity and that to me was um, a, a really, really special moment always, Jerry. Yeah, and I think it's a good note to end on as well. And look, I, I think um, you're obviously someone who, who excels at whatever you go into because you've done your rugby. And one of the phrases I heard you use before, I think it was in a wee video you did um, for Ulster, and it was talking about if you build it, they will come. And it's this idea of sort of, yeah, if, if you put the effort in, which you did, you get rewarded for it. And um, that's proven itself to be true, both with your rugby career and also with your business as well. And you very kindly brought along some snacks in the form of the biltong, which I can't wait to have because I've heard so much good stuff about it. So just finally, if, and Nilsa didn't ask me to do this, but if people want to get their hands on some of this biltong, how do they go about that? Uh, they can visit uh, us at our web, on our website at kunakubiltong.co.uk. Or they can pop up to Ballylagan Organic Farm in Stray, just outside of Ballyclare. Yeah. Um, there's 99.9% of the time um, a good stock of biltong. 
but that is the the easiest ways for you to get it. We sometimes do stock indie food and two sisters as well, but um, just with Alana being away on holiday at the minute, I'm left to fly solo, <laughs> which you never realize how, how useless you are some things <laughs> until you have to do everything. Um, so yeah, that's that's the majority. That's predominantly where you can find our bolton, or you can come to some of the events that we go to um, and get it freshly sliced on the day there. I keep seeing it popping up everywhere and people talking about it, so it seems to be going really well. And, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've got a bit of a cult-like following with the Biltong, um, but it's it's simply, and this is something someone said to me, it's it's because you do things right. I was speaking to uh, Christine Cousins from Food and I there yesterday because we've got a couple of uh, bits of Biltong that's going to a tasting at the House of Lords next weekend. Oh, and wow. um, she said to me, but... It's because we do things right. Yeah. We, we, we we are open and honest, and I'm all about honest food and being yeah. honest in in essence about what I do and where I come from and yeah. where I'm going. Yeah. Um, there's nothing nothing hidden about me. Yeah. So I think with the built on, it's exactly the same. Yeah, I can't wait to try it. I have to say I've heard so much about it, and it's been <laughs> such a pleasure to talk to you. Also, thank, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming in. Imagine a place free from gravity. Imagine a place free from all external stimulation where the only thing you can hear is your own heartbeat. A place where your physical and mental health can rest and recover, where you can reconnect with your whole self. That place is Hydroease. Come and join us. You can find us at www.hydroease.com hydro-ease.co.uk